Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. The fans have won already. What a spectacular week of competition we have seen. On this episode, it's drag racing journalist Mike Alimi and my pal, WFO Joe Costello. And there is not a happier human being on planet Earth than the woman in that pro stock car. We're going to talk the ins and outs of drag racing across the country. Goodbye, Snake, and hello, Ace. This is the NHRA Insider. And the wildest day in the history of this category is finally complete. Hey everybody, welcome to this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast. I am your host, Brian Loans, and as I mentioned in the open, going to be joined by two of my friends today. This is kind of like a friend's episode. Mike Galimi, who, uh, if you're a reader of National Dragster, you've probably read his work over the years, a longtime contributor to Dragster, as well as a guy who has a big role in the execution of the NMRA and NMCA series of drag racing. We're going to talk to him about how they've been dealing with the downtime, kind of what their plan of return is, and how quickly they're going to get things going. Spoiler alert, it's this coming weekend. So we're going to talk a lot about that and uh, really how this downtime has affected not just the NHRA, but drag racing series across the country. And my second guest is going to be WFO Joe Costello. You know him as the drag racing pod father. You know, he's the guy that started this whole podcast thing in the sport of drag racing, and all of us have kind of glommed on behind him. But uh, Joe's going to be on, obviously a great friend of mine and someone who uh, brings his own insights because he, like I have, been talking to people across the sport of drag racing on a near endless basis over the course of the last four months or so. Been a big week of news so far, and it's not over yet. I can reveal no details, but if you're listening to this podcast early uh, during the week of, uh, let's call it June 22nd, Monday, June 22nd uh, was the the start of the week, I guess we'd say. Later on this week, there's going to be another release to come out about another driver that's going to be rejoining the series for a couple of races, specifically those comeback races in July. Another big, big name. So uh, it's exciting. It's great. Uh, It is cool to have these announcements coming. Certainly a lot of excitement building around July 11th and 12th at Lucas Oil Raceway, Indianapolis. When we get to come back, we get to bring the sport of NHRA drag racing back on television. We get to have our race in front of a crowd, albeit a limited one, um, but we do get to uh, get to do that and have some folks in the grandstands, and those people will be doing all the things they need to do. NHRA last week brought out the regulations, the procedures, the um, kind of safety measures that are going to be put in place for fans as we get the series going again. Uh, These are not permanent for the rest of time, but they are going to be enforced while we are still in the midst of this whole COVID-19 program. So these regulations are designed to certainly keep the racers safe, keep the fans safe, and keep exposure to a minimum inside the walls of the racetrack. Which is what we want. We want everybody to stay stay safe. We want everybody to do what they can do. And uh, it is inconvenient. Absolutely. Is it a change that nobody really wants to make in these circumstances? Absolutely. Is it something we need to do in order to have a series that will uh, be responsible for its uh, spectators, for its customers, for its competitors? Yes, you got to do it. Uh, There's no real way around it. So that's how that's going to happen. You can go to NHRA.com and learn more about that. It has been an incredible week of news, and it continues to be an incredible couple weeks of news uh, on the NASCAR front. Let's do it. Let's talk about this for a couple of minutes because we are witnessing something in American motorsports that we have never seen on this level before. And for drag racers, myself and anybody else that's been, you know, kind of deeply in love with this sport for a lot of their lives, you know, there's a little bit, sometimes I have it too, there's a little bit of frustration going, hey, this is the way we've been since the beginning. You know, and it is certainly something that 
is uh, getting a lot of people's attention. NASCAR, of course, has just a massive audience, and and what they have done and continue to do over the last several weeks, I think, is is an amazing thing. I think it is um, a lot of courage in these decisions. There is certainly a lot of guts being uh, being made in these announcements that are being made, and then of course the incident with uh, with Bubba Wallace at Talladega that now the FBI is involved in investigating. Um, which is a shameful thing for whoever did it, but ultimately the, the the backfire thing on any time somebody tries to pull a stunt like this is it always turns around the other way. You saw the amazing show of unity. Uh, those of you that have seen the photos undoubtedly have, have seen them on social media, have seen them across the news. They were everywhere. That great photo of unity, that great video of unity with all the drivers, all the crews walking down uh, pit road and pushing Bubba Wallace's car kind of in unison and it was great speaking from the inside of a racing series out um, it is a very interesting dynamic something that I feel as though and I'm going to get into this with uh, with Joe some when we when we get to talking to him later in the show but the the dynamic of people involved in a series versus the dynamic of people who love a series as a fan is different and there are times when we got to circle the wagons. There are times when that happens, and we see it happen around people when sometimes people fall ill. We certainly saw that with with Jock Allen. We saw the wagons circle around. We saw them circle around Todd Smith. We saw them circle around people like Bobby Bennett. You know, this is, and these are people who are in the community, if you will, of drag racing. And Bubba Wallace make no mistake about it, is in the community of stock car racing. And it has been pretty awesome to watch how that world of NASCAR racing has gone, in my opinion, above and beyond to try to help that guy out. Because I don't think Bubba woke up one morning and decided he wanted to be the leading spokesman for the diversity of NASCAR or the leading spokesman for minority racers in NASCAR. But he woke up one day and he was that guy. And the pressures of executing his job on a normal basis are very high. The pressures of executing his job under these circumstances are crushingly high. And for him to know that he has the support of his fellow racers, of the fellow teams, and of the administration of the series, I think is invaluable. Ultimately, this is his road to walk, and we all are kind of witnessing him walk it. And I know I think about it every once in a while how how much of a pressure cooker he has to be in or feel as though he is in. And he's certainly on the right side of this. Let's not get that. Let's not get confused about that. The guy is absolutely 100% in the right, but he has to put up with things that I can't even imagine. I have seen more idiotic things posted on social media, whether I've been direct messages I've gotten for things I've retweeted or things I've liked on Twitter, um, things that people are just saying out in the open. It is astonishing to some degree what uh, what some people are willing to say and do but i will say this it is an impressive thing i am glad that drag racing has been a place where we have certainly not been perfect and no one has uh we have not had you know every day has not been uh, kumbaya and, and rosebuds out there but i will say that drag racing since it's very early inception as a really kind of full-size national organized activity has been a neutral ground for various different people. We talk about the Bean Bandits team from the 1950s and 60s that, that towed from California all the way to the World Series of Drag Racing in Illinois in like 1954. 
and competed amongst a bunch of, you know, Midwestern guys and people from all over the place. I look at my own coworkers. I look at Cruz Pedragon. I look at Tony Pedragon. I look at their dad. You know, their dad, Frank Pedragon, obviously um, a Mexican-American guy and, you know, wore that as a badge of pride, as it were, back then out in California. And those guys have those guys have that pride as well. And I think they should have that pride. I think it, it's their identity. It's who they are. It's it's how they it's how they feel about things, how they see life. So when we look at drag racing versus stock car racing, you know, we have champions that are African-American. We have champions that are women. So the frustration for me sometimes becomes like, yeah, this is a big deal for those guys. But look at us. We've been doing this forever. And it's a blessing and a curse, right? The, the blessing is that we have been doing this forever. The blessing is that, well, I'm sure there are people who are backwards and moronic that have views that are just sickening. The vast, vast majority of the drag racing fan base, the vast, vast majority of the drag racing community, the the all but 0.1% of people that love this sport and love NHRA have come to understand and know and just take for granted the fact that you're going to see people of all walks of life at the events either in a driver's seat or sitting next to you in the grandstands. It's no longer a big deal when somebody of African-American descent, somebody of Asian descent, somebody of whatever descent wins a race because that's what we do. And it's a point of pride for me. I know it is. When it is frustrating for me is when I see what's going on in NASCAR, which is great forward progress. They're doing everything they got to do, and they're certainly making some ground-shaking changes. But it's like, man, this is stuff that we did 30 years ago. But ultimately, what they're doing is going to help everybody, I think, move and move the conversation ahead. I think um, I think there is a perception or was a perception maybe before the last couple of months that, you know, motorsports and racing were just kind of what they were and they were going to be what they were and they weren't going to change and they weren't going to have a voice. Well, I think we've proved that all wrong. So. It has been uh, an educational thing for me to watch. It's been an educational thing for me to, um, in my own mentality, how I view things, how I consider things. You know, I got uh, I got two sons, 11 and 13 years old, a lot of conversations around the dinner table about everything that's been going on. But bottom line is, when I see what Bubba's doing over there, when I see how he has uh, really kind of picked up the mantle for what NASCAR is trying to do where they're trying to go and what they're trying to be. It's it's uh, very courageous because uh, as we know and as we have seen and as they are investigating, there are people out there that certainly do not agree with the direction, which is their right. This is a free country, but it is not your right to threaten someone's life or and try to intimidate them into into a situation that uh, they don't feel comfortable, they don't feel safe, they don't feel wanted in. That ain't how it goes. So it's going to be very interesting to watch that evolution. I can't wait to get our sport back on the racetrack. I can't wait to tell the stories of our racers and what they've been doing, what they've overcome, what drag racing is in 2020. We're going to have a lot of people watching us. July 12th, live, Fox Broadcast Network. Going to be live from 1230 to 230 or 12 to 2.30 Eastern Time on the Big Fox channel. Same place you watch The Simpsons, same place you watch NFL. And by looking at schedules, we're going to be very close. You know, NASCAR has been back. IndyCar has run a race. We're going to be back with some fans in the stands. 
Stickball sports will not have started by then. And I think it's an opportunity for us to talk about a lot of stuff and to tell stories and to be very thankful that we're back racing, but also be very honest with kind of what drag racing is and what drag racing has been. And I think uh, I can't wait. Can't wait for the opportunity to get back at it. So that is my soapbox I am climbing off of right now. It has been an incredible couple of weeks um, for so many reasons, some horrible, some very good. But uh, it continues to be continues to be a period of great change one way or the other in this country and in motorsports. And we're going to keep our eyes peeled on all of that because it affects our day-to-day lives, whether we're just going back and forth to work, whether we are involved in racing, whatever you're doing, it's, uh, it is it is something. <laughs> it is something out there. So let's get our first guest on the show. Mike Galimi is coming to us, and Mike has uh, been a friend of mine for many, many years. We're going to be talking about drag racing, talking about the NMRA, NMCA series, and how they've been dealing with COVID-19 and the effects thereof. So how you doing, Mike? Pretty good, Brian. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well. And for those folks that don't know, Mike Galimi is the Director of Content and Marketing over at Pro Media, which is the company that executes the NMRA and NMCA Drag Racing Series. And Mike, I wanted to talk to you today, um, one, because you've done a lot of stuff in your career. The only real black mark is that you're one of my friends. Um, but two, <laughs> you know, I want people to understand that it's not just the NHRA out there. There are a lot of drag racing series that have had to kind of shuck and jive. And my understanding is you guys are actually getting your series started again this weekend so let's talk about that event first how are you guys getting things fired back up again yeah so we're heading down to atlanta dragway for um you know the scoggin diggy park center nmra nmca all-star nationals and uh it was originally scheduled in april and we ended up pushing it off till uh this weekend in june it was uh a decision we were like well let's put this on pause and let's see where things you know, change and go, and we felt like Georgia was was a good spot to start as they were a little more looser with with how they conduct business uh, compared to some of the other states we were we were involved in. Yeah, and you know, one of the things you and I talk pretty much every day about drag racing and life and everything else, and kind of following the I don't want to say the saga that everybody's been going through, but it was looking like you guys are going to be able to get things started at Gateway or Worldwide Technology Raceway like a month ago. But that didn't work out. And I guess rather than going to the specifics of that situation, I just want to talk about how how have you guys communicated as a group? How have you been working with racetracks? How have you been trying to navigate this thing to kind of get yourselves back on your feet? Well, I mean, you know, within the group ourselves, we're all kind of remote anyway. So, you know, daily conversation is pretty natural and flows very well for that side of things. It's it, But it's dealing with the tracks and, and the partnerships there that's been just absolutely valuable. Um, to get this stuff going again, you know, division directors, uh, track operators, just absolute lifeline because they're the ones who are in the local markets and we're, we're not there. Like we don't deal with the counties on a regular basis. Whereas, you know, Casey Kohler and his team over at Atlanta Dragway, which is, you, know, you guys work with them at NHRA, sure. um, they've been great. And so dealing with the, the track operators and, and division directors has been invaluable through all of this to kind of figure out where are our best odds of getting a, a race off as quick as possible you know you uh you live in the the greater new york area i live in the, the greater boston area so these two kind of uh these two areas have mirrored themselves a lot in how you know how quarantines have been done and lockdowns and how things are kind of phasing back in but 
as we know, pretty much everywhere across the country is different. And I know you saw it the other day. I think that the release just came out yesterday. It's like Illinois, you know, officially announced that they're going to allow motorsports facilities to fire back up again, which is great. But the problem is, especially for a place like Route 66 Raceway, it's kind of a day late and a dollar short. Yeah, I mean, you know, everyone was anxious to get chomping at the bit and and get scheduled and organized, and, and I think um, it, it kind of kind of threw a wrench in the program. I think for some facilities where it's like, you know, uh, uh, Summit Motorsports Park with Bill Bader and his crew, uh, Route sixty six Raceway, where they've got to make these big decisions, and it just, you know, the problem with all of this is it changed nearly daily yeah. for. Hourly. Six weeks, seven <laughs> weeks. Yeah, it, it was incredible what you would hear in the morning, especially like you said, with our, our race at uh, you know Worldwide uh, Technology Raceway in Madison, Illinois. You, what you heard in the morning by that that evening, we were on another phone call with each other internally. Like, okay, this has all changed, and uh, so I, I think just just how quick things had moved and, and some of these bigger tracks, I think it was harder for them to, to navigate through it than some of the smaller, agile. Um, groups and, and tracks i've been able to travel to a couple events during this uh during this whole thing one of them was a donald long race down in orlando the other was uh the pdra carolina uh, race that was down in darlington and the two things or really one thing i took away from both of those events and one i think i want to get into a little bit with you is the absolute resiliency of the drag racer because these were these events as far as participation went were very well attended um in, in orlando we were allowed a limited number of spectators and in in south carolina they allowed spectators but it was only announced maybe 24 hours before the race so some people did trickle in but the resiliency of these racers man they came out in force and it, it really did kind of uh buoy my confidence as to what the the real kind of rock solid base of the sport is uh, you know, I think you're, we're dealing with you know extraordinary extraordinary people who are they're used to taking a risk, right? They're getting into a race car. They understand it, but they also understand that there's safety that goes along with that risk. So whether it be social distancing or whatever the guidelines of that local community are in place, so you know you've got people who are like, yeah, I'm, you know, I get in and I drive a 200 mile an hour car. <laughs> you know, <laughs> going going to a track and, and going to do that is um, during these times is not as scary to some of you know some of the other people that, that you know that have been gripped by fear unfortunately through all this pandemic yeah and i want to talk for people that aren't familiar with uh with what they will see if they get out to atlanta dragway this weekend and i would encourage anybody that's uh within any sort of distance to atlanta to get down there and support the to support the series and support this event uh, what kind of drag race are they, they going to see at the nmra nmca all-star nationals well it, it's two different series that we run you know concurrently with each other at the same facility so you know on the nmca side you're going to see you know pro modified is going to be the headliner you know factory supercars which is much like the nhra um the factory, factory showdown yeah. class yep. right with cobra jets and copos and drag packs and that stuff as well as you know some 275 radio racing um tons of muscle cars we've got a great program with uh with dodge mopar with a hemi shootout for late model hemi guys um a similar version with Chevrolet Performance and, and LS LT powered cars. So everything from stock vehicles to, you know, highly modified, you know, pro modified cars. Um, so a little bit of everything. It's, it's kind of a, a wide range of interest crammed into one program. 
you've been uh, around the sport of drag racing basically your whole life. I would say adult life, but we're not really adults. We're just overgrown children here. So uh, you've been around it forever and in so many different facets, uh, whether it was some, um, uh, let's call it uh, non-sanctioned activities uh, in your youth in New York uh, with guys like Dean Marinas and other racers that, that cut their teeth on in some wild street racing scene back then um, through small tire stuff. You're a, you're a de- devotee of the Mustang community, but you also – Love Pro Modified. So I'd like to transition this conversation a little bit into NHRA Pro Mod because um, it's going to be very interesting this season. NHRA made a recent change as far as how the points are going to be gathered. There's going to be nine out of the 12 races that will be points gathering events. And I guess I want to get your your immediate kind of take on that. What, what are your thoughts? That was a change that was made at the behest of the racer. So let's talk about that because your series – in a somewhat similar fashion works this way, right? Racers can claim their best races. They can claim they can drop. Let's talk about how you guys make points and how the E3 spark plug series has made an adjustment there. Okay. So in NMRA and NMCA, we, we recognize that people don't do this for a living. And it's, you know, we do have geographically and we are east of the Mississippi, but geographically we start in Florida and we end up in either Indianapolis or Bowling Green. So you've got all these different points. So, we know people only have limited vacation time. They've got families. And so our point structure is so that um, if you go to all six races, you get a bonus, but we only count five out of the six events towards a championship. And it, it, it helps for people, like I said, who have a business, who have a family, who can't be gone, you know, 60 days a year drag racing. So for us, it, it, it really works well with the, the type of racers that, that run with us where they can – still maintain a family life and a business to pay for all of this and still have some fun racing then chase the championship as far as you guys go in in, in the pro mod um it's kind of the same I, scenario that you just mentioned yeah though. yeah you yeah, know yeah i mean you know you do have some guys who do it fast uh do it uh for a living like you know stevie jackson um but it, it you know there's 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 budgets there's concerns on that side so yeah that is, i think it's a great move um you know 12 races is a lot to cram in when you've essentially lost the first two months of the season or three months yeah and uh it's all going to be jammed up together we're going to see those uh, pro mods at the second uh kind of indie revival race if you will the 18th and 19th of july and and that will be a points gathering event so that the kind of championship hunt will begin there um, you know, one of the one of the things we're seeing in Pro Mod, and you and I have talked about this a bunch, is the fact that centrifugal superchargers have come into the class, and as they have come in, they have effectively broomed turbochargers basically out. <laughs> it's insane. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely changed. Um, you know, tw- you know, five years ago, I think twin turbos was you know such a, a bad spoken word if you were a nitrous or a blower guy, and and I think you know as they started to rein them back, it just keep parity and then you drop in you know the the centrifugal supercharge combination i, I think it's definitely pushed that the turbo turbocharge setup aside and uh you know for better or worse i mean everything you know it's drag racing so there's always going to be this cycle and uh it, it's fun to see you know those those cars get in there because it's something that they, i felt like came out of the mustang market you know back in in the in the 90s centrifugal supercharger really started taking off and i've watched the units get go from this small little vortex atrium to this massive pro charger now <laughs> that uh so it's been fun to watch that progression and then now it's 
really has a stranglehold on on you know the, the top end of door slammer racing yeah and and to take that kind of uh concept a step further i would say not just from the mustang market but really from the nmra and nmca side of things i feel like yeah. you know those were that was a, a primary arena for those two companies to to grow their product lines and again the reason that we see um you know a giant you know f3 136 or whatever 140 millimeter uh pro charger is because of the fact that over the years in the nmra and nmca more horsepower was required to be competitive and so they were able to incrementally advance their product it wasn't just like they woke up one day and went from making street trim superchargers to the to a, a wood chipper that you bolt to the front of the engine so i guess i want to talk a little bit about that because too often, I think uh, people get hung up on the idea that that all this stuff that that drag racing evolves in the NHRA and everybody else benefits from it. But the reality is, um, drag racing evolves around the NHRA, and a lot of this stuff finds its way in. So if we can go down that road a little bit, because when we're talking turbochargers, when we're talking centrifugal superchargers, we are legitimately talking about technology that was perfected and advanced outside of the NHRA. Yeah, I mean, I mean, turbochargers is a perfect example. Um, you know, where it, it's always been around, but, uh, you know, back, back again, back in the nineties when all of this started really taking off with the, you know, the original pro street movement, um, when you have guys like Rod Sabry and, uh, and, and, um, and Rieger going to Duttweiler, getting these twin turbo combinations. And then on the pro five O side on the, for the Mustangs, it was, you know, torque converter technology wasn't there. So it just kept, you know, pushing pro five O kept pushing it. And, and the pro shoot guys kept pushing it. So all of these parts were developed to, to get them to race better and, and run better. You know, the, the fuel injection systems. You know, I remember, you know, the original DFI 6.0. <laughs> and, you know, and then the, the Gen 7 comes out. You know, the fast system comes out, um, the first iteration of it. And just, you know, extraordinary leaps and bounds. But a lot of it was in the racer demand. And, and it was coming from the street legal segment rather than the NHRA side because, it, it, you know, turbos weren't as prevalent over there. And sure, you had guys like Hurley Blakely and, and Cobb Eliminator and some other arenas, but for the most part, it, it came out of the Pro Street and Pro 5 movements and trickled on down the small tire stuff. Yeah, and it's uh, it's pretty neat. I think, um, you know, when, when we look at, you know, because again, Cobb Eliminator was the only place in NHRA drag racing you found turbochargers for about a 25-year stretch. You know, it was... and. You know, you go back and you read uh, old Hot Rod magazines and stuff from the 80s. That there's a there's an editorial that Leonard Emanuelson, who was the editor of the magazine, wrote, and I'll never forget it because the pull quote that kind of highlighted quote at the be- at the beginning of the story was, "Turbochargers will never succeed in drag racing." <laughs> it's like, and, it, and it always reminds me. I, I always think of that because I hear people saying stuff. You know, you always hear people say, "Never, you're never going to see X Y Z combination go this fast. You're never going to see a car on a 275 tire do this, that, or the other thing." And, you know, throughout the years, we've seen every one of the nevers, quote unquote, kind of overcome by, you know, technology and and people putting their nose to the grindstone. Um, Let's talk a little bit about some of the the guys in your history with with NMRA and NMCA, some of the people that stand out as as kind of legendary to you, because, again, we're talking crossover names here. And I obviously don't have to go much past Billy Glidden, I guess, to start this part of the conversation. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, Billy, yeah, I mean, he was uh, definitely... You know, definitely a big name early on. I think he brought a lot of attention to Pro 5 um, You know, guys wanted to race him. Racers just were just, like, if Billy was there, they wanted to go against him <laughs> and and prove their worth against a guy like him. You know, here, you know, Pro Talk, you know, six-second club, all of it. 
And, uh, you know, and he came in and helped a lot of groups too, right? So a discussion the other day on Facebook, someone had posted a picture of John Bennett, who owns, you know, Bennett Racing Engines, you know, his old car. And, and Billy had, was on and off again driver with that program. But, you know, he kind of really pushed, pushed it very, very far. It ended up being his black car that he still owns today. He ended up buying it off him. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, huge super influence. Um, you know, even earlier, guys like Gene Deputy, uh, back, back in the early 90s, were, you know, that was kind of the start of turbocharging yeah. um, in, in the Mustang world. You know, and he had a, you know, a 10-second, you know, Mustang GT, which was, you know, very rare back then. You know, Racing Jason, another guy who pushed turbo technology and, and the Pro 5.0 movement. And although we never officially raced Pro 5.0, um, his cars were influential in, in terms of how it all developed. He ran some some outlaw races, but, you know, twin turbocharged, and they were like, oh, you can't run twins. It has to be a single. And uh, he unfortunately passed away before he could, could get a single turbo car running consistently with NMRA and, and World Four Challenge. But, but yeah, you know, Doug Mangrum, um, just so many. I mean, the guys too numerous to, to you know to keep yeah. going down. No, it's in uh, again. You know, these are these are names that you know aren't household to a typical NHRA fan. But for guys like you and me um, that grew up in, in basically at the same time, and and you know, I was living and dying on every magazine that showed up at the house back then, and it was like those were the names that were on the pages, and you'd and you'd look and you'd see that. I mean, I'll never forget. I think the first time I saw the engine in Gene Deputy's car, it had that awesome intake manifold on it, and the turbos, yep. and it was like this was straight out of like Planet X from outer space, man. This was this was like. It was awesome. And, you know, those are the type of things that get, in my opinion, still get kids hooked, except they're not looking at magazines anymore. They're watching guys like Cletus McFarlane and others. And, again, the topic that you and I spend a lot of time hashing out every day is how young people are being influenced in drag racing. And I'm not sure I'm not sure they've had it any better than they do right now. Or am I wrong about that? The information is is so plentiful, so accessible between YouTube and you know uh, different social media like uh, Instagram or Facebook. Um, just tons and tons of content that they can enjoy. And uh, you know, like you said, you waited by your mailbox every month to get your magazines. And yeah, there were a lot of magazines, but you had it. There, there was effort involved in, in going to, to seek out that information. And then and then if you read an article, you could never follow it up with like, hey, I want to know more about you know, this particular turbocharger that, you know, Gene Deputy had on a streetcar or like, the, you know, the, the crazy twin turbo race car that he built. And you can go further and explore more. And where I think on social media and YouTube, you, you get these ideas like, hey, I want to learn about this, you know, Garrett turbocharger. Well, you just put it in Google, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, information is just, it's absolutely incredible. The, the how-to where the magazine was, you know, the, the only source for how-to stuff at, at some point, where it's, you know, it's YouTube. Anything that, anything you could think of, you could find on the internet somewhere. Yeah, and, you know, as good as, the, and the magazines were fantastic in, in so many ways to certainly plant the hook and, and to provide as much information as you humanly possibly could within the number of pages they could they could provide. But, like, I remember, you know, as a kid, you'd read these engine build stories, and it was neat, you know, and you see the black and white photos and you read the captions, but then you're like, Oh man, you know the level of intimidation. Going, I don't know if I can actually do that. Versus, my kids today flip on YouTube and they can watch like a five-part series of Steph Papadakis building a thousand horsepower B fifty-eight inline six, and they come away knowing way more stuff than I ever knew when I was thirteen years old. And now I don't think my kid could screw together a thousand horsepower engine at age thirteen, but he can speak with some level of intelligence about things like head studs about things like dynamic compression versus static compression things that were just like 
college level subjects to me back in the day. And I think it's incredible. And honestly, I think it's it. I think the evolution of the technology, the media around drag racing ultimately helps affect the, t- the advancement of the physical technology on the racetrack. Right. Because. You and I talk about these early fuel injection systems with the little dip switches and stuff, and you'd have to sit in the passenger seat while your buddy went rocketing down the road, and you're with a little screwdriver trying to tune the thing. Versus today, you know, you got companies like Holly or FuelTech or whatever you want to aim. These products are basically designed to speak to kids. My my 13 year old is an example. I would bet you I'd give him three days, and he'd have that thing functionally figured out enough to make a car at least run. Yeah, no, I mean the, the accessible of understanding tech is explained better in you know in video form than in print form but and and you know i'm a fan of print oh absolutely you know i think what print brings to the table also is is an entertainment value too right i mean the photography like you know when i first started in the business it was you were a writer and then you picked up a camera and you just kind of figured out taking photos now it's like you have to be just a photographer you know, in, in some of the bigger magazines, because the photography is, is just extraordinary. You know, a Wes Allison, an Andrew Link, a Kevin Diossi, I mean, all of these great photographers have come out of this. So, you know, while the magazines aren't, you know, the how-to anymore, they're definitely, uh, visually, they're just stunning. It's, it is a great experience. And, you know, continuing on the entertainment thread, I mentioned Cletus McFarland. Obviously, we have outfits like Hoonigan. You have Donut Media. You have, you know, really a plethora right now. And I I think we're probably, if I would have to guess, you know, I think we're in a a bit of a golden age of some of this stuff right now because there are so many, I would say, large outlets that are creating so much content. It's, I don't think it can sustain itself on this level for as long at this, you know, incredible rate that we're seeing all this stuff at. But there has never been a time when when so many and so much money is being invested in creating automotive content that you can basically get 99% of it for free. Yeah. You know, I mean, like uh, Amazon, right? I watched, uh, you know, our buddy Dave Freiberger and Finnegan on on Amazon for a while, you know, and, and, uh, you know, those those platforms are all trying to get automotive content um, to fill it because there is such great demand. So yeah, we, you, in, in that regard, we are definitely in a golden age for it. Um, YouTube guys, Cletus does just a, an incredible job. Oh, it was does. a video a day. He went on one month straight of one video per day he did and filmed and, and it was great stuff. It wasn't like just filler content, you know, I, but I do feel like with all of these, all of these new media companies, these content creators, it's like it's like the seventies, right? I mean, how many magazine industries yeah. companies were there in the late seventies, early eighties, and eventually they just start to either fall by the wayside or or get bought up and become these conglomerates. So we'll we'll see. It'll be fun to watch to see where it goes if they start coming together as groups and who falls away and who keeps going. Yeah, and I think you know. I- I think a watershed kind of crossover moment came not that long ago, actually, um, when, you know, Cletus McFarlane buys what was known as DeSoto Speedway, which is a circle (laughs) track that is located adjacent to like you could throw a rock and hit it from uh, from Bradenton uh, Motorsports Park, the drag strip. And you have Victor Alvarez, who is a young guy that and an innovative track operator there at Bradenton. And now you have Cletus, uh, which is not his real name, but that's his Internet name that everyone knows him by, owns this racetrack, which he is now dubbed the Freedom Factory. And my God, what he has done with that place, and he's turned it into—he's turned it into a destination for every gearhead kid to, that wants to go see it. It's—it's—it's—it's it's, uh, it's, it's almost no surprise, right? So you've got these kids on Instagram 
you know, renting mansions in LA <laughs> for the sole purpose of creating content, right? right? So it's like, okay, so if you're an automotive guy, well, what's the what's the pinnacle there? Well, it's not a mansion in LA; it's a it's a racetrack, and it just so happens that he is, you know, best friends with you know Victor next door at, at Braden Motorsports Park, and it's like, hey, you, you do realize that track's for sale? I kind of looked at it, and you know, Cletus is like, I'm in. Uh, that's this is great. Um, so yeah, so it's it, you know, and Cletus made it, you know, made it well known. Like he he he's inviting other, you know, established YouTube guys. You just can't show up and be like, hey, I got a YouTube and uh, here's my video camera and, and you go create some content. But he wants it for everybody. You know, obviously it's going to be his home turf. But you know, the more interest and in the more automotive programming that's on YouTube, it's you know, it's better for him, and he and he recognizes that. Yeah, and I mean everybody from you know Von Gittin. For those of you listening that don't know who Von Gittin is, uh, he's probably the I would argue maybe the most famous drifter in the world at this point. You know, a factory guy from Ford and has been for years. You have him, and then you have all the way to Tom Bailey. He had Tom Bailey's you know five second streetcar there as a, as kind of a feature item at one point. You got monster trucks, and it is um it is a neat thing, and I think it scares the crap out of older people, which in general is probably a good a good thing at almost at almost every turn when we see old people afraid of something it usually means it's a good change for the future <laughs> um so you know I'm, I'm wondering you know in the current climate who the next kind of big breakout person is going to be on that front um you know you and i can we can talk about 1320 video kyle loftus was a pioneer on this front of 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 drag racing content and really he's kind of the guy that created cletus mcfarland i mean cletus was kind of a bit character in some of his videos and cletus's persona grew to such a level and brilliant and the guy's brilliant by the way he plays the role of a you know of kind of a uh the not the smartest guy in the world but he is obviously (laughs) obviously the guy is is brilliant and uh, understands how to run a business but you know a guy like kyle loftus is not going to get the appreciation he deserves for another 10 to 15 years i don't think when we start to look back at this era but it was huge i remember kyle at drag week first year he was just a kid with a camera asking dumb questions of everybody and he kept coming back and his channel kept getting bigger and for the benefit of everybody, I'd argue. Yeah, no, I mean, Kyle was the first one. I remember when he, when before YouTube, he was doing DVDs. Yes. And, yes. Um, you know, that that's where I saw Boosted GT for the first time was on, on Kyle's DVD. We did a bunch of reviews on him in, in Muscle Mustangs, and I was like, oh, man, who's this uh, Who's this yellow Mustang, you know? And, um, but Kyle's done a great job, and, and like you said, you know, Cletus started there. He was interning there, I think, through college. Yep. And... I don't know why, but he was a videographer and somehow he got put in front of the camera with Tom Bailey's car and, uh, you know, six, uh, six seconds, 2.0, the gold, the, the gold one. Yep. And he did it as a joke. And, and Kyle's like, no, no, that that's awesome. Like people really responded <laughs> yeah, to it. Keep and doing that. <laughs> keep doing it. And then eventually just spun off into his own, you know, his own persona. Um, and, and, you know, Cletus just uh, just ran with it, and and he's done a phenomenal job with, with that brand. Yeah, and it's been cool. I mean, we've had a lot of uh, we've had a lot of social influencers uh, at NHRA races over the last couple of years. I'm sure that trend will continue. And you know, for us, uh, it obviously helps NHRA drag racing reach a, an audience that I think we struggle to reach. That's a younger demographic that maybe knows who we are, but doesn't really know what happens or how it happens. So when you get a guy like Cletus that stands between a couple of nitro funny cars and he turns around and you know there's a wet spot in his shorts or something, it, it goes a long way to help sell what we're doing here. And I think it does help us connect and i'm just um 
I'm glad that those guys and girls in that kind of realm are willing to do what they're doing, not just for us, but for your series and every series out there. Like they're they're most of them are not too cool to be impressed by something, right? And when they're impressed by something, it carries a lot of weight. There's a lot of honesty with him and many others, right? I mean, they generally love this stuff, and this is why they do. And it just happened to turn into this monster um, thanks to YouTube. And, and it started with passion, and that passion still exists, which is which is great. It's not some big company pulling strings like, hey, if we create this character, yes, it, you know, this is what's going to happen. So it, it's very authentic, um, and I, I think that's you know the Gen Z and millennial marketing, you know, authenticity is hugely valuable which makes these, you know, these folks even more important for, for what we do. That's a fact, Jack. Well, Mike, I appreciate you taking the time today, man. It's been a good conversation. Uh, where to, where do people need to go to follow NMRA and NMCA drag racing? Where do they go to learn more? Maybe how to participate with their, with their late model Hemi powered car. Where do they learn all this stuff? So, uh, for NMCA stuff, which is all of the domestic brands, you can go to NMCADigital.com. It'll tell you how to get involved, how to race your street car, um, you know, what events coming close to you, the rules, the fun, the, you know, all of the racer news. We keep that heavily updated, new products, some tech stuff. And for just Mustang slash Ford, it's NMRADigital.com. And uh, so same, same deal, lots of, lots of event news and how to get involved and come have some fun with, with your hot rod. Well, Mike Lamy, thanks so much for uh, spending some time with us today, and I look forward to uh, following along with your guys' race down in Atlanta this weekend. I wish you all the success in the world, and uh, we'll be back to argue about pro mods and small tire drag racing on the phone coming to a, uh, you know office near you soon. <laughs> Sounds good, Brian. Thanks for having me on, man. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. All right, it's time for our second guest on this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast. Many people believe that me and this man have a blood feud because of our dueling spaces in the podcast realm, but this is not true, Joe Costello, is it? Blood feud? Blood feud? Are you kidding? No, we've never had a blood feud. I love the fact that someone of your stature has created a podcast and is on a daily basis driving people to said podcast where... Hopefully, they will see mine somewhere in the neighborhood. Like, hey, there's another one. Let's try that one. WFO, what is that? And uh, there's certainly plenty of time to listen to both. Yes, and you're the guy I mentioned at the top of the show, but you're the guy that really kind of brought drag racing into this genre of media, and uh, your show continues to be the uh, the industry leader in that respect. So that's one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you today, not because of your storied history in podcasting, but because I want to talk to you about a guy who's been in kind of the same position what have you been filling the time with? Because I know what I've been doing, and I guess I want to talk to you about, about what you've been doing and kind of maybe things you've discovered and or things you've changed about how you operate. Wow, it's it has been such an interesting and unique time. Brian, uh, with our travel schedule and being out there on the tour and heading out on Thursdays and coming back Monday nights, typically I had designed this perfect work schedule where I would do my texting for winners on Monday, we would get together on Tuesday, I would knock it out at the driver's convenience, we'd put it together in podcast format, kind of the way you're doing this now, and then put it out, promote it, and then go on to the next race. Well, without the racing and without the winners, all of a sudden, I had to totally redesign and rethink what I was doing. And we've seen it with so many other businesses, uh, sports, 
reimagining what is possible given the new reality. So I invested in some, uh, you know, a couple of nights of really doing research about live video streaming, which you guys are doing and everybody is doing. Fortunately, the technology gods smiled on us right in this time and delivered unto us some amazing <laughs> technology that we we're able to utilize to connect through video and put it on Facebook and Twitter and all of our different social channels at the same time. So our WFO feeds, which for years were really just a place to get the podcast, right? Yeah. Our Twitter account. I retweet Brian Lone's tweets. I retweet Alan Reinhardt tweets. I retweet some of my good tweets. Well, now people who follow WFO radio on Twitter, they can watch the show. And that's cool. Uh, Facebook, very similar. So all of a sudden, through the technology, our show became multimedia, direct feedback, and a whole lot of fun. One of the things I'm most proud of is our happy hour show, which you've been on, oh, and dude, thank you for that. Those are great. Honestly, those are fantastic. I wanted to do something. You know, this quantity, this quality. You over there at the NHRA, at the mothership, your prime directive is to keep millions of fans informed of factual information. They're coming around. My prime directive is different. You've got that covered so well. I just want people to have a fun moment and something memorable to happen. And so we've been able to put together, whether it be wine night with Ron Tobler, beer with Gary Selzy, or just some fun celebrity uh, drinking parties, really on a Friday at 4 o'clock. And we've had a good time with it, and I'm real proud of what we've been able to do. No, I am too. And, you know, one of the things um, that, you know, honestly, those Friday shows that the couple I've been a part of have been super fun. And the ones that I've tuned in that haven't been on, but I've watched are, they're great because it is, you know, everybody kind of puts the mask on when they go to do a live thing or they go to, you know, whatever. If you're doing something with a format, when I do my NHRA Skypes, you know, I, I obviously try to stay as loose as possible, but the guests are the guests and they're going to kind of stay on message and this and that. But those... You've, you've created a nice environment there where everybody lets their guard down. It's real conversation. It's not um, it's not necessarily an interviewer, interviewee program. It's just four or five people, six people hanging out, having a couple drinks and, and talking about life or drag racing or whatever. So, no, I, I've uh, greatly enjoyed what you've done there. And I think the value in that is I, I really feel like you've brought personality um, and exposed some personality in people that maybe they haven't exposed publicly before, which is awesome. Well, exactly. And when you know, when I was a when I was a young man coming up in the world, Brian. <laughs> oh no! I, I, when I got my own place, I like to have social events. I like to be around people. I like to see the different personalities, and I don't always need to be at the center of it all. But I definitely like to facilitate the happening. And now that I've gotten older and want to stay away from people, it has been a lot more challenging. We get so many opportunities at the NHRA events that I know the fans would love to be around, to be near, to be a part of, to be a fly on the wall and just listen to the cool conversations. And through that show, we've been able to facilitate something similar where everybody is comfortable, they're in their own environment, but they're not afraid to let down their hair, talk some smack. We are drinking a beverage or two. And uh, it's been it's been interesting. And you have also seen there have been moments where I've been completely out of control. Oh, yeah. I admit that. <laughs> Lost control. But that's the fun, honestly. And, and uh, you know how it goes. I mean, it's it's 
they always talk about, you know, an engine runs its best right before it throws the rods out. You know, a party's always the best right before the police show up. Like, these are the things. Like, you that that little space, that little space right before something weird happens is always the best time. And if you can manage that, which you've done several times, it's it's where the good stuff is. That's it. And it's been great. And I wonder when we do get back to racing, which by no means I would choose racing every day and on Sunday twice, but... How am I going to continue that? Will it continue? Is that something that can continue when everybody gets fully back to work and immersed? And, and the answer is maybe not, probably not. So I'm trying to do special things in this special time that people will remember like, wow, that was a, uh, that was unique. That was different. And I'm glad they did it. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, to me, obviously, to your point, you know, once we get back into competition, things things as far as news cycles and what people are going to be interested in in seeing, hearing and learning about change. But um, I do think we have as a, an industry, as a media side of the industry, you, me and everybody else doing this stuff have created um, an environment that our off season is going to look and feel completely different in terms of content creation, in terms of what people are going to be able to see and do um, with our drivers, what drivers are willing to see and do, because they've now been exposed for months to doing things that they probably wouldn't have wanted to do and probably would have had to have been forced to do without this situation, but they have to do them now to stay current and relevant. So, you know, the off season is going to feel very short for a multitude of reasons, but I do think that concepts like your happy hour, concepts like some of the live programming we've been doing um, on NHRA social side, to me, that's perfect wintertime fodder. Absolutely. And proving the concept is always a challenge. You know, good ideas can be uh, good ideas, but if nobody adopts them because they don't see the vision, then what's the point? And I saw it on the podcast side. Uh, it, it was a slow burn where at first, people didn't understand podcasting. What is that? Some guy in his garage, whatever. I don't want or, or Twitter. I don't want to see what somebody had for lunch. There's always that person who doesn't want to adopt the new technology. And I've always wanted to be the first person in because that's where the speed is. We see it in racing. That's the drag racer mentality. Well, now the, the concept has been proven. Do you want attention for yourself and your sponsors? Then Set up a little area of your shop or your office with the car in the background or some cool visuals. Get yourself a camera or use your iPhone and set it up and be ready for when people call. And when they call, if it's Brian, if it's Joe, if it's whoever it is, say yes and take that exposure and then uh, share it to your channels. That's how to be successful now. And People are realizing it, and it's good for the fans because you've never known your drivers better. You're seeing them in their own environment, the stuff that you did with Steve Johnson and Jock. Uh, we did something similar. He was in the hospital. That was not possible before. Right. I could have imagined Steve saying something like, well, I, I couldn't imagine Steve saying it, but I could imagine another person saying, you know, man, I'm in the hospital right now, and it's a very serious time, and let's do it another time. And instead, Steve said, no, let's do it now. And he brought this audience into a, a new environment that yeah. he was experiencing. And we saw like true reality. And then we saw Jock. And I know that you had a similar conversation with him. And that's because of vision and realizing all of a sudden it's not about what you ate for lunch. It's about people want to know if they love something, they want to know as much as they can about it. They want to get to know you as well as they can 
give them that opportunity. Be ready to do it. Yeah, and and at the end of this, which um, you know, thankfully, it seems as though we're coming to the end of of our particular layoff, if you will, in drag racing. If if you come to that, you know, if you're a, if you're a competitor, if you're a personality in drag racing, and you get to this July 11th and 12th weekend, and you feel like people don't know who you are, that's your own fault at this point. You have you have failed yourself at this point because my God, there there will not be another opportunity in your career to have you know to have opened up, to have spent time on a happy hour, to have had conversations, to have been honest with your fans, to have all those things. It's it's not going to happen again, hopefully in this in this regard. But you know, I, I think there is um, there is a part of that where you're only going to have yourself to blame if you didn't take care of everybody you could during this time. And you know, I've said it a bunch on this show. I've said it elsewhere. I don't know if anybody has done a better job than Ron Caps, and I'm not just saying that because he's a mutual friend of ours, but this dude has hustled his ass off with the iRacing stuff. Everything he's doing, he has been a constant presence. He's done cool interviews. He has not stopped a lick. Absolutely. Now, Caps, he does that all the time, though. It's just a different kind of hustle because he's going to Napa deals and, and going to people at the stores and showing up at stores. But during this time where all of our attention is focused, you can see who the hard workers are. And that's why Caps is a leader. That's why he's one of the best as a driver, as a champion, as a face of the sport. And NHRA is going to continue to grow uh, based on how many people know and appreciate what he's doing. It's been great to see him out there fighting for his sponsor, fighting for the attention with NASCAR drivers, with IndyCar drivers, showing his talent and ability, repping NHRA drag racing in the sport that we all love. And there have been others, but Caps has certainly led the way, and, and you would expect that from him. So let's talk a little bit about what's going to be happening in July. And I think we can let fans in a little bit uh, as to you know what they may be able to expect if they're going to attend the race. Obviously going to be a limited crowd. With a limited crowd, it's going to be limited staff, too. I know that uh, your plan is to rejoin the series when we get up to Seattle and really kind of go hammer down on this thing. And I guess I want to talk to you about what you think the significance of these two July races will be. What's the significance of Tony Schumacher being a part of them? And uh, my understanding is that later this week, we're going to have another announcement regarding another uh, very high profile driver that will participate in these events as well. So I guess let's just talk about what will be a very different environment in July and uh, what your kind of generalized thoughts are there. I love cliches and statements like that. You know, it's always darkest before the dawn. Hopefully dawn is coming and we're going to all remember the year 2020, uh, like some remember 1968. There are just years that everything kind of goes haywire. This is one of those years. But in the end, though, the championship is going to be just as meaningful, if not more meaningful. Remember who won that crazy year? For instance, baseball is getting ready to get started. And uh, 60 games, it's not a full season, but whoever holds that World Series championship trophy, the New York Yankees, when they do, uh, it will be extremely meaningful. So these July races, I know that everybody watched NASCAR get out there and be first and race. And, and they've had all kinds of different stuff going on. They've been the center of the news. But we wanted to show the world what NHRA is all about. Now with these two July races, still a mostly captive audience on the big Fox network right there in Indianapolis, Indiana, the home of the sport, uh, it is an opportunity to show what the sport is, what it's all about, 
and literally help bring it back uh, to where it was and maybe even advance of that. We, we really feel like the sport we've been seeing the past five years has been outstanding. And it's just about fighting for attention in this new media world. Well, here you go. You got a great opportunity. What does it mean? Well, it means you're going to have to comply with some certain standards, masks, whatever the uh, in, you know state of Indiana has decreed is necessary to have the event. We're going to do that. Fans are going to do that. And the fans that don't want to do that, they don't have to go be a part of it. If you love drag racing, you're a driver, you're a team, you're a sponsor, this is the, the absolute cutting edge of the battle to bring the sport back. And it is just so important. It's exciting. Tony Schumacher, you mentioned. Uh, whoever put together that deal, and it is my understanding that Antron himself was a big part of it with Stephen Samantha Bryson and Tony and obviously Don Schumacher. Uh, Tony's going to be on WFO on Thursday. That is our intention at very least. Nice. We're going to ask him about it. But it's all hands on deck right now. It is all hands on deck to put a best foot forward and demonstrate that these cars that accelerate from zero to 330 miles per hour in less than four seconds, all the while uh, in this diverse crowd of, of racers who have every kind of personality you could possibly imagine battle to be the first person to win in this chaotic time, it's going to be amazing. Yeah, and, and, you know, obviously Indiana presented itself as a great option for NHRA to start there again because of the proximity of the majority of the teams to the racetrack, because of the uh, governmental and public health stance that that state has, allowing a limited crowd of fans. They've been able to operate the racetrack for several weeks now with various, uh, you know, small events to kind of get things back up and rolling at Lucas Oil Raceway. So all of that, to me, is the, the nuts and bolts of it. But I do think that there is a great symbolism in this return happening at, you know, arguably the most hallowed ground that we have in the sport. So, you know, it's it I would have been happy for it to happen anywhere. You know, if there was a racetrack in Sheboygan, you know, Wisconsin that we could have run at, I would have been happy with that. But the fact that it is happening at Indianapolis, I do feel like really does carry an extra punch to it. Well what about you from your perspective as the the voice on Fox we're talking network and I know you have the great challenge of fitting big ideas into small spaces with, yeah. with the timing of a show. But you have, you have an opportunity to convey our story, the story of drag racing, of hot rodding, of car culture, uh, you know, coming back, the, a sport that was born out of our World War II victory that has now... You know, it, it's strong. These people have passion. They want to go out there. It's more than just a race, and it's your job to convey that. Yeah, you know, I think for me, um, uh, Lauren Adams obviously is going to be the one making the open to the show as she as she does for all of our events, and they're all incredible. And I can't even begin to imagine what this one's going to look like because we Lauren is uh, an artist uh, of incredible caliber. I think honestly, for me. Um, I know I'm going to be emotional. I just, I need, like, I've, I've been thinking about this a lot. Like, I, I'm going to have to work very hard, I think, to, and I, I don't mean in the excitement level, which will obviously be high, but I feel like there's going to be an overwhelming feeling when we get things started, especially on, on Sunday for race day, that um, I'm going to need to make sure I, I keep in check to some degree, just because, you know, it's a, it's a lot of pent-up stuff. You know, it's a lot of pent-up stuff, uh, whether you, you know, on the whatever, just, 
professional level, societal level, everything that's been going on. And, you know, as you mentioned, NASCAR has been in the news for a million different things. And honestly, I talked about this for five, 10 minutes at the beginning of the show. It's an incredible transformation to watch. It is something that I'm not sure I would have ever seen in my lifetime. It's something that proves without a shadow of a doubt that an organization can, in fact, change and embrace a modern culture that that they have to be fearless to do that. Um, I mentioned the fact that I get frustrated at times because we have a sport that has been inclusive by and large, that has celebrated minority racers, that has celebrated women, female racers, and we don't tend to get the recognition for that. But at the same sense, NASCAR is everybody's big brother in American motorsports, and for them to be doing what they're doing does does nothing but help everybody else's cause out there. So to in your to your question. For me, um, I think this is going to be as impassioned as you're going to see anybody. And I'm not just speaking for myself. I think for everybody. Me and Tony Pedragon have joked about it. It's like, which one of us is going to cry first? And uh, <laughs> I'm not sure I want to set low ET on that, but it's going to be an overwhelming moment for sure. <laughs> the idea that the NHRA or anything would definitely survive this period like, we didn't know. You go back to March, we didn't know what was ahead. And to get to a point where we feel things are stabilized, certainly some numbers are going up in Florida and Texas and Arizona, but it looks like they're starting to mandate some changes to combat them. People are learning how to live again, what to do, carry the sanitizer with you everywhere, have a mask so you can get in and out of places that it's mandatory, do the right things, take care of the uh, older folks, uh, you know, call them more than you did because you might not see them. Like, we're learning what it is, and it takes a little bit of time, but here we are a couple of months later, very much the drag racer way, which is the uh, same as, you know, Marine Corps motto, improvise, adapt, overcome. And we're overcoming it. We're figuring it out. But to get out there and burn some rubber and go fast knowing that that first round of racing in Indianapolis and another first round a week later, that those points are going to count for the world championship, the Mellow Yellow World Championship at the end of the year, and that every round matters, man, I can't imagine how intense it's going to be. Everybody's ready. I know you've spoken with everybody on the planet. Certainly I was talking to Greg Anderson couple of weeks ago, Matt Hartford, others, these dinos have been running, yeah. they have been burning up parts because there's nothing else to do. The sport we're going to come back to is going to be, it's going to be supercharged. It's going to be great. Oh, it's going to be, uh, yeah, it's 100% going to be, going to be all those things. Um, you've been racing recently. I saw some social media. You were down there at uh, West Palm Beach making some laps. Talk to me about your, your recent bracket racing sojourn. Well. I would. I, I entered a race. I wouldn't call it <laughs> racing. Call it being defeated twice. Now there's a story to it. As as some people know, I love bracket racing. Yeah. Coming up in Miami, we had a track Miami Hollywood Speedway. I did a reunion show on our happy hour deal. Daryl and Jerry Gwynn came on. We had fun. Internet uh, issues on that given day, but the point was we had this amazing facility, and I was the announcer there at 16, 17 years old. And I really love bracket racing, in particular street cars. I had a Super Pro car, you know, delay box, 10-second Firebird, the one that we still own. I won a track championship. I've won a couple of track championships. But something I always loved was street car bracket racing. Drive in, enter, 
put a number, race, drive out. Yep. And so our West Beach local track, now the closest track, has recently changed the category, which category for streetcars. So I heard about it. It was their first night open. So I felt like it was very important for me to support drag racing on that day. And they opened at 8 in the morning, and time runs began at 10. So I stole my dad's GTO and drove up to the track, and I had all these, like, big plans, Brian. I was like, all right, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to drop the tires, 25 pounds, will it hook up? And certainly, got two time runs, went out there, first round, bad light, got whipped. But I did snug it up 15 foul at the stripe, so I felt like, all right, I did something right. Let me buy back into this deal. Went out there, had a better reaction time, but spun the tires and went 10 over, and now I'm a loser. And it's over. <laughs> but I felt like I was, uh, it, was, it gave me just enough encouragement that I want to go back as soon as is possible. But again, it was support of my local drag racing facility. Yeah. I saw my great friend. One of my friends won. He's got a WFO sticker on his car. Uh, you know, 500 bucks he won. Street racing, you know, drag racing his street car. Yeah. And it was a great experience. And the thing that was most heartening was all of the racers who said what's up, who are watching the NHRA social media broadcast, who watch the TV show, who are South Floridian, hardworking, tax-paying people who their hobby of choice is to go out and bracket race their car, and they are watching what we are doing, and they had really nice things to say, and it was great. And I was happy to be a part of it, but yes, I got hammered into the ground like a nail. <laughs> Well, hey, man, um, you know, unfortunately, I guess the nature of our sport requires that everybody but one person has that experience over the course of a day at the drags, right? I would have liked to have won a round. I would like to <laughs> take my round, do buyback round, something. I do have excuses. I've got a litany of them, unfamiliarity with the vehicle primarily. But uh, I think next time out... I will be in much better shape. So I figure that'll be like sometime in 2021. So uh, I've got my notebook. I'm ready to go. Oh, that's fantastic. And I guess uh, a couple more questions before I let you go here. Um, to to kind of double back down or back into the the remainder of uh, what is planned to be the NHRA season, um, no countdown. And I, I brought this up to a bunch of people. And, you know, generally speaking, people are like, yeah, I think it's cool. I like it, this, that, and the other thing. I want to talk to you about this on the emotional front because you you and I are on the same wavelength for a lot of things. And, and this side of things, I think, is one of the places we, we kind of link up on here. Um, what is your take on what this will do to people's psyche over the course of this highly compressed season with no playoff, with no top 10 safety, with nothing but having to win rounds? Right. I, I don't know, but I have thought of it in that the pressure cooker that is the six-race countdown, we've seen it, I like it, I support it, but I like flexibility also. So I'm really eager to see how this all plays out. The team that gets a slow start, like you've had all this time to prepare and to be ready, and for some reason you're not ready, and you go out and you lose first round three races in a row, and you've, you've pretty much killed your championship hopes right there. Uh, unless you can somehow win three or four in a row at the end. Um, I don't know what that's going to do, whether we're going to see more intensity. I do think that the fangs of competition are going to be a little bit dulled because 
we're all so happy to be alive and able to compete. We've just got a real lesson about what life is really all about. We've, we've had people that we know um, not make it. We've seen, you know, Jock's mom. Like, a day at the track is going to be very different for Jock. He's going to be thrilled to just be there. So the sting of a first-round loss, it's going to be a bummer, but it's definitely going to be in perspective. So I'm eager to see what that, what that means, how it turns out, how people are going to handle situations. I think about, you know, the finals last year and the flare-up we saw. Will we see things like that, or is it going to be a little more hug it out uh, because we're all happy to be here. I don't know which direction it's going to go. I will say this, and I know many drivers listen to your show, and uh, I I want every driver to know that this is the opportunity to be an entertainer. So you don't have to be mean-spirited. You don't have to be angry, competitive guy, but you have to do something entertaining because drivers are drivers and championship teams are champions, but you have to entertain the audience. No, you absolutely have to entertain the audience. And and my opinion or my take, I guess, on this on this particular situation is that, yes, first week or two, I think you're going to see, you know, maybe you're going to see a little bit of the dulling, like you said. But by the time we get to, say, Indy in September, like U.S. Nationals Indy, traditional Indy, um, I, I feel like that will be in the past. I think by the time we get to the U.S. Nationals, I think you're going to see uh, maybe heightened stress levels because, you know, at some point, at some point we all have to think about next year as well and making a good showing for next year. Somebody who's in a sponsorship contract situation, somebody who wants to be able to go into a meeting and say, this is why I deserve your money again next year. Um, it's going to start weighing on people. And as you well know, you know, in drag racing, familiarity breeds contempt. And once we start racing a dozen weeks in a row, people will be very familiar. And I think potentially contemptful. Well, I, Entertainment value. That's what I'm looking for. That's what I want, always with respect, but entertainment value. And you mentioned that that torrent pace. Think about what that's going to be like, Brian. Typically, we got a four in a row, and at the end of the four in a row, I don't know if people know about this, but let's say there's a four in a row, and Brian and I, we, we hang out at the track, and we've got friends, and there's friends there, and everybody, it's a really wonderful uh, environment. You're, you're part of the circus, this traveling circus of speed. And the first week of a four in a row, everybody's excited. And the second week, it's like peaking. And the third week, you know, it's like, okay. And then the fourth week, everybody is really like, they're done. They're ready. They're enjoying it. But it's now, it's a grueling pace. Well, that multiplied uh, by a lot. What is it going to be like being a band on tour for all of these weeks, racing and racing and racing? It's going to be something we've never seen before. I'm thrilled to maybe have the opportunity to do that. And you know what will happen? Be ready for it because we don't know. Yeah, no, that's a that's an absolute fact. And to your point, you know, you talk about like you know what's what what life's about, what things really matter, what's important. I respect your opinion there 100 percent and agree on the overriding sense, but I would also have to argue that, um, and this is a point that it, c- it comes back to any sport that if you're participating in that sport, it, it better be damned important to you because if it isn't, they'll find somebody who it is important to, you know? So yes, I, I will, I, it is impossible to argue that people's health, safety and livelihoods are more important than a drag race on a weekend. But I would also argue that if it is your profession to show up and win that drag race, it better be damned important to you. Well, let's think about certain specifics. The, the Capco team, 
is in the middle of a historic run. Is COVID-19 going to be the reason that we say years down the road, the Capco team was unable to win three championships in a row and continue on their historic run? Are they going to overcome this obstacle? Are they going to be able to go out there and do what they did? That's a good question. You've got this new team of Antron Brown with Brian Karate back. They've certainly had a lot of time to gel, right? They did gel time. They thought of every scenario you would imagine and worked on it. So, Force, John Force, like how many more years of John Force are we going to be granted? There's, it's obviously a, a finite number. We don't know what it is. Well, John is an amazing human being. He's been able to do things that are beyond comprehension at his age, but it's just, a, a, it's biological. It's a number. What's the number? How many more do we get? We better enjoy all of it. What's he going to be able to do with it? Is he going to be able to go out there and do something spectacular in this time? These are the things. So, yes, um, it's going to be a balancing act with everyone. But you're going to see the best of people. I expect that you'll see the best of people. I do, too. I think uh, it's going to be it's going to be great. And um, it is going to be as this whole thing has been a moving target. I know there, you know, people look at the, the schedule, they look at the cities we're going to, they look at the current, you know, health and wellness situation in some of those cities. And I mean, I'd be willing to guarantee you and I have no advanced knowledge of this other than, you know, reading the news um, every day that that what we see as the locked in schedule now will have some edits to it by the time the year's done. I don't think it's I don't think it is. Uh, talking out of school to say that it's just logical. So uh, we'll be we'll be living this thing together, Joe, and I will be seeing you uh, hopefully in about I don't know a month or so in early August. And um, I'm certainly looking forward to the Indy races. They're going to be unique. We're going to be, as I mentioned, running them in a very lean manner. Whether we're talking about TV side of things, whether we're talking about event management, um, and it's going to be. It's going to be something, man. I am certainly glad uh, for you taking the time today to come on the NHRA Insider and have this conversation. Glad to hear that uh, everything's kind of healthy and safe for you guys down there in Florida. Hope your dad's doing well and look forward to seeing you at the racetrack, man. Brian, thank you very much. Thanks for the opportunity. I know that you guys are doing a great job over there with all the media. Uh, For your listeners and viewers that have the opportunity, a little extra time, to dive into the world of NHRA Drag Racing, WFO Radio Podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all the places where you get podcasts, of course, Facebook and Twitter and uh, all of those places. We try to do a, a great job. And, uh, you know, the idea that we're in the same realm uh, promoting the sport of drag racing is great. And a, a final thought to the fans out there, whatever they ask in terms of compliance, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's get the sport back. Let's set a good example, and let's uh, get back to the sport that we love so much. Amen. He's WFO Joe, the drag racing podfather. He made the genre, and I am following in the fellow road that he plowed. Thank you, Joe. And so that'll bring this unique episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast to a close this week. Hope you enjoyed the conversation. Very wide-ranging conversation with two guys who I am proud to call my friends and two guys who are definitely involved in the worlds of drag racing in different respects. Both journalists, both involved deeply in the sports of their relative series, and I look forward to hanging out with both of them at racetracks later on this year. Thanks for listening to the NHRA Insider Podcast. We'll be back next week with more breaking news, more stories, and more opinion from the world inside and outside of NHRA Mellow Yellow Championship Drag Racing. I'm Brian Loans. Thanks for listening.